dating, marriage, and divorce conversations, where we analyze, navigate, and troubleshoot all stages of your romantic life. I'm your host, Igor Meisterman, a divorce attorney turned relationship coach. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dating, Marriage, and Divorce Conversations. Today, I want to discuss a topic, like many other topics that I prepare for the show, are based on the work that I'm currently doing with my couple clients. And a really interesting topic was discussed recently with a couple I've been working with that I wanted to share with all of you because it struck me as a type of topic that probably comes up more frequently than not in relationships. I know I want to open up with a joke. It's a, it's a bit of a sensitive joke, but I think it's very important in life to be able to take things easy and not be pressured by all, all information that comes at us. So one time I, I came into the house and I walked over to my wife and I said, you know, I just finished the session with a couple and uh, about 20 minutes into the session, one of the, one of the spouses began to cry. And my wife said, what'd you think about that? I said, I actually was surprised. And she said, why? I said, usually they cry about 10 minutes into the session. Now, why am I sharing with you this, this joke? Because it never ceases to amaze me how much we are so deeply in our hearts crave closeness and connection and how much we are desiring it consciously and subconsciously. And if only the right environment and opportunity presents itself where we could experience safety in our connection, uh, a feeling of my spouse is really trying to reach out to me and be with me. These floodgates just open of something that we've been holding back for way too long. I think that's why the sessions are so powerful. They immediately kind of activate all these things that have been sitting in us dormant, waiting for a place where they could express themselves. And uh, usually they're accompanied by uh, floodgates of emotion. And it's a really beautiful thing. And it's a thing that we all need in our lives. And it's a very healthy thing to have. And when there isn't that outlet, we become volcanoes, right? And at certain points, we erupt. Some more frequently some less frequently, but when those eruptions happen, right? Run, stay out of the way, go for cover. And of course, the idea of all this work is to find a way to reduce the number of eruptions with the plan to eliminate them entirely and instead redirect the relationship towards a place where anytime we experience tension and arguments and fighting, we want to run to each other, not run away from each other. I want to be next to my spouse. I want to be close to you. Because when I'm near you, that is when I'm safe. That's when I'm neutralized of all of my tension and emotional toxicity. Not when I'm away from you. And then I feel like I'm safe, which is a hallmark of an unhealthy relationship. And what I would like to open up with is a concept that is really deeply expressed in, in the Torah itself, in the Bible. And there's been so much ink spilled over how to make sense of these two words. And I'd like to offer today another approach that's very much inspired by the work that I've been doing over these years with couples and really going on a granular level of what unfolds in a dynamic between a husband and wife. And the, the words that in Hebrew I'll tell you and then I'll translate are Azer Kenegdo, which literally translated means helper opposite of him. Now, at First blush, you could say that this is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction. What do you mean you're a helper, but you're opposite of me? If you're helping me, why would you oppose me? And if you oppose me, I can't call you a helper. And yet, the Torah decides to refer to 
the role in this particular case happens to be, it specifically spoke to the wife, that the role that she's going to play in her husband's life is that she's going to be a helper who opposes him, or at least a helper who stands in opposition to him. The question is, how do we understand that? How do we resolve the seeming contradiction? And one thing that I always love sharing with couples I work with that I think is so relevant to the, the work we do is that if you think about it, it's not a contradiction at all. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not a contradiction at all. And the reality is, is that actually the way you help each other is sometimes by standing in opposition. As we explored in other episodes, and I hope in many episodes to come, we'll, we'll do more deep dives on this topic. There is an idea that the whole process through which I choose who I marry and the way I go about picking my partner is very much subconscious. It's away from our awareness. We think that we're making a choice based on various criteria, whether it's financial standing, whether it's physical attraction. But the reality is, is that our subconscious is very deeply and proactively at work while we're going through what seems a conscious selection process. And the reality is, is that God wired it into us in such a way that we will go ahead and choose somebody who is exactly our match. And that's why that person is going to be an azer, a helper. But they're going to wind up after the marriage presenting themselves many times in a way that will make us feel like they are connecto. They are opposing us. They're challenging us. And the reality is, is that they're not challenging us for the sake of the challenge. They're challenging us for the sake of helping us realize our potential and fix, we call it make a tikkun, fix the things about myself that I otherwise would never be able to address. And therefore, this approach flies straight in the face of a Western concept, such as, I need to go find myself. How will I do that? I'm going to go to China, India, or somewhere else on the other end of the world. I'm going to meditate in solitude. And through that total alone experience, I will somehow experience a uh, enlightenment. And I will come to terms with myself and I'll understand myself better. And comes along the Torah and tells us that it's way off 180 degrees in opposition to true way to go into a self-searching journey. What we do instead is we say, get married, be in a relationship, and through that relationship, allow yourself to go through the investigation of self-healing, self-repair, and to make that tikkun of fixing oneself. Why? What's the dynamic? How does this unfold? Well, from everything so far we've been sharing in, in the various episodes, it would make sense now that the way things play out in a dynamic is for some reason, right? This person I find attractive and I feel drawn towards them. And this person, eh, there is no vibe. There's no energy. There's no interest. And we could be discussing same topics, but there's this additional X factor that is at play in the background. That is the factor that draws me towards my potential mate during the selection process. And that is exactly those forces that are not visible that need to be explored and figured out in order to make this proper 
self-correction. And what people fail to realize is that if you're going to go meditate on a mountaintop, away from all the triggers, away from all the challenges of life that bring out of you all these feelings that you may have of anger and hatred and frustration and resentment, all those feelings happen when you're around other people, particularly people that are closest to you, especially a spouse. Well, if you're going to go ahead and deprive yourself of all these triggers, you may say to yourself, look at this, what an accomplishment. I have been able to neutralize the problems in my life. I've removed all these triggers. I now am at peace. I'm, I'm one with myself. And the truth is, that is the furthest accurate reflection of where you're holding. Because removing all the triggers does not address the core and the essence of where I truly am. You know, a good, a good analogy I would give is a person comes into the gym and they're ready to bench press and they say, can somebody please spot me? And somebody stands behind them and says, okay, let's, you know, throw in a hundred pounds on this bar and I'm going to now bench press a hundred pounds. Well, if the person spotting you standing there and is lifting the bar, you may have the impression or perception in your mind you're lifting 100 pounds. But the reality, as soon as that spotting person would release, now 100 pounds of weight is resting in your arms, and only then you can discover who you really are and how strong you are. Well, that's exactly the role relationship serves in our lives, in the realm of personal development. Not only in the realm of a good relationship and the work the relationship needs, but actual personal development is directly impacted by the way we go through the journey of relating to others. And that's why one of the things that I love so much about Imago therapy particularly is that it's called relational therapy. Imago therapy's entire model is built on the premise that you can't just do self-work and you can't just do relational work. The whole point of engaging other human beings is to go through this dynamic process of figuring out what triggers me about you and how I trigger you, and then by sharing in a safe way through what we call the Imago Dialogue, we learn and we acquire the tools needed to then actually heal ourselves and bring closeness to the relationship. And therefore, we're killing two birds with one stone. We come closer to each other, we come closer to the truth of who we are, into a place where we could heal ourselves. And that's why when I was working with one of the couples, I know I said this line to them, you don't need to run away, come closer. Just think about those words. You don't need to run away from me in order to come closer. I love when a couple comes in and inevitably one of the partners says, you know, things are so bad between us. We just need a break. I just need to go away by myself. I need to disconnect. Now, I do want to make a quick comment about this point. There is such a thing, even in a healthy relationship, in a great dynamic relationship, we all need time to pause and just reconnect to ourselves from a place of quiet and safety and just experience connection with ourselves without anything else at work. It's very valid and important. It's a concept that is recognized very much in Jewish thought and philosophy. We have a concept even called his boydedut, just experiencing a loneliness and meditation in order to get to this place of touching the oneness and connection. These are all very important qualities. But that is not to be confused with some sort of disconnect for the sake of disconnect. That's not acceptable. And that's why even the concept of shalom, which is, means hello and bye at the same time, the root of the word also is shleimut, 
completion. Because when we say shalom to another person, we're saying, I'm incomplete without you. I need to experience connection with you and with everyone else around me. Because if everybody is a, a piece of the ultimate source, then we're all ultimately connected. But we live our lives generally in a very fragmented way. And that fragmentation, right? At one o'clock, I have to be here. At two o'clock, I have to be here. The extent of my interactions with people is through social media, where I don't experience pain and crying and happiness and celebration together. All I experience is these little bit-sized pieces. Everything's fragmented. And that fragmentation has created a very deep disconnect in our lives. You go to work, I run to work, you take care of these chores, I take care of that. Everything's fragmented. But when do we pause and just be together? When do we pause and just make space where we just hold each other? And I don't mean only, let's say, to physical hug and, and affection. I mean to just be there for you to cry on my shoulder, so to speak, and share with me what you're going through, and I'm just with you. And I'm not checking my phone, and I'm not explaining to you what to do, I'm not solving you. I'm just there to be with you. Oh, it's such a soothing feeling. It's a soothing we all so deeply crave and desire. And because of this need for deep, meaningful encounters, couples who choose to do the work experience it and then realize that the life would never be the same and the relationship would never experience the joy and meaningfulness that it could have had unless we sat down and did this work. And unfortunately... So many people suffer in silence or in solitude and they find themselves in a place where I'm not able to connect to my spouse for whatever reason, or I can't figure out a way how to build that bridge of connection. And so instead I opt out for self journey, self exploration, rather than I need to find myself. I want to figure certain things out about myself, what make, how, what makes me tick. And I want to do that through my relationship and therefore my spouse is a blessing. My spouse is not a, a difficulty and a challenge that I'm somehow supposed to overcome or neutralize or run away from. My spouse is exactly what I'm supposed to have so that I would receive the help of the opposition. My helper who stands in opposition. That is where my salvation lies, my self-actualization lies, and ultimately my deep, meaningful connection expresses itself. Hope you enjoyed. Thank you for joining us today. For questions, comments, topics you'd like to hear more about, or to try our 24-week relationship challenge, email us at relationshipreimagined at gmail.com.